0: Genesis House and the Friends in Recovery Podcast are proud to bring you Answering the Call, the First Responder Podcast. Join your hosts, Mike the Podfather and Jersey Ed as they address the real issues in health and wellness for first responders. From physical and mental health to relationships and work-life balance, we leave no stone unturned. Answering the Call, the First Responder Podcast is available on Facebook, Podbean, iTunes, and YouTube, as well as iHeartRadio. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Now, here are your friends in recovery, answering the call. Hey everybody, welcome to Answering the Call, the uh, First Responders podcast. I am the podfather, Mike Miles, and I'm here with the...
1: Skyler, and it's noontime.
0: Skyler at noontime. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little past noon, but this is, it's always noontime with Skylar, which is yes. really, really good. So how are you, Skyler? I'm How's doing good? pretty good. Yeah, pretty you're good. Filling in some big shoes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, the reform thug Ed. <laughs> yeah, the,
0: the reform thug Ed from Jersey. Jersey Ed. Yes. <laughs> I, yeah, I, nick, I nicknamed him Jersey Ed because, uh, I, I don't know, just when I, all my life I've liked comedy and I've watched comedians and they've always depicted people from Jersey as being thugs and tough and, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're thugs in New York and they go live in New Jersey, you know?
1: <laughs> yes, Exactly. <laughs> See, I'm down near Philly, so I got like the, the
0: different the
1: Philly with the beards, I got, you know. Yeah,
0: Philly too. Have you ever heard of the Mamas in Philly?
1: Mama's no.
0: Parade? No, no. I guess they were like a group. Oh, the
1: Mamas Parade, yes, mama's, yes. Yeah, I'm
0: not saying it right, yeah, yeah. Mamas, yeah. So I, I was in the army with a kid, I uh, was stationed at Fort Dix, New Jersey with the Yeah. In uh, Kucha and he was, uh, he was a, a mama, is that what they call The Mamas Parade? Mamas Parade, yep. So he was, he was part of that uh, organization and I had no idea what he was talking about, you know. People said I had an accent. Well, Philly people have big accents. You can't
1: yeah, it. we do. We do. Water, <laughs> water, <laughs> water crayons, crowns.
0: Yeah, water,
1: <laughs> water, water, yes.
0: Water, <laughs> water. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. So how are you? how's everything going with you?
1: Good, good. Um, I am going to read the, um, the good stuff that we need to be reading. Um, so that way everybody knows how to get a hold of us. Yeah. Um, so we have uh, copline.org. And you can also dial 800 um, at CopLine, which is 800-267-5463. We have the Friends and Recovery Community of Support Facebook. We have a Friends and Recovery um, Answering the Call First Responders Facebook page. Um, And then we also have a a Friends and Recovery Community of Support group on Facebook as well. Um, And then, uh, yeah, and then we have this awesome sponsor, uh, FirstNet, built by AT&T.
0: Yeah, and you know, they're, they're fabulous. I, I love the um, the promo in the beginning of, of any of the podcasts, you know, the commercials. Uh, that's put together so well. And we actually had a guy, um, um, an EMS gentleman on last week, who uh, our last show, who uses FirstNet, built by AT&T. And, oh, and nice. Just the importance of it. You know, it's just kind of amazing. And uh, it's a real honor to be uh, to be able to be sponsored and, and, you know, even to have them in any part it really, of it. Is.
1: It really is it really su- is super cool i mean like i said um before you guys have been building up this podcast for the last two years and you've you've stuck with it consistency right, was right. key and then look where you're at now
0: it's amazing you know and uh, you know this uh answering the call podcast you know, we, we, we try to touch base with police fire ems corrections veterans you know anybody that's um, a public servant and um mm-hmm. You know, as we all know, you know, the pod father, myself, I was a police officer for 35 years um, in the city of Lowell, Massachusetts, and um, I retired in 2015. And I was a correctional officer for a short time, 14 months. And I was also in the U.S. Army Military Police School uh, for three years, you know. So I've kind of been around, you know, law enforcement most of my life. And um, um, I've worked with firefighters and correction officers and veterans. And obviously mm-hmm. I have a real soft place in my heart for vets. Yes. I see see any vet pro bono. I don't charge them. I try to help them. uh,
1: That's awesome.
0: Well, it's good, you know, because I really, I've just seen the the, the high rate of suicide with veterans is just astronomical and heartbreaking. And, you know, Vietnam vets. I'm a Vietnam era vet. I didn't go to Vietnam. I joined the army in 72. The war was over in 73. But I went to Germany. I helped bring home vets. And uh, being an MP, I was in a lot of... uh, skirmishes, as they say, um, as a young kid, you know, but um, I, I really have a soft spot in my heart for veterans. And, um...
1: you know, my grandfather, um, he was in the Navy in World War Two. And um, he fell overboard during the war. Um, and he was paralyzed from the neck down. And he had a surgery and he was able to walk. But like, you know, it started with a cane, then a walker and then a wheelchair. And then he was really not mobile, it was like a lot of dead weight. Um, but, you know, it seeing what he went through and what he what he lost for serving his country you know i mean it it had to have come at a price and you know i was so young at the time i wish i knew more at the time you know what i mean
0: right and you know you you just realized that my dad was a world war ii vet and um you know there's a new book out called spearhead it was written by a gentleman um and it was a tank division the third armored tank division the spearhead unit was the obviously well, it says Spearhead, they were the first ones to go in, and um, you know, they had the most casualties of any unit in World War Two. And my dad was in all these big battles Battle of the Bulge, about you know, Normandy, all these, but um, he never talked about it. Till yes, the...
1: no, same with my grandfather, never talked, even the tattoo he had on an arm that he got <laughs> in the Navy. I don't even, it was skin was so wrinkled, I don't even know what the hell it was, but he never <laughs> talked about any of
0: it. You know, what's funny, is that's why I never got a tattoo because I I'm 66 now, but I'm always, I was always afraid. It's going to get wrinkly and you won't be able to read it. So I'm not going to get it. And <laughs> all my kids have tats. I love them. I, I don't care how many they get. My daughters, my son, I love it. But, um,
1: you know, just, with I'm, age, I'm, Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, now,
1: how, now what do, um, like, I know sometimes the insurance with vets can be an issue, you know, like finding help with vets can be hard because uh, yeah. So where do they usually go for treatments? So? They
0: think go to the veterans administration. Okay. And, and, you know, I got to say, and I'm not trying to be political here, but um, this president that's currently on his way out, uh, he did an awful lot for vets. He really, really took vets seriously. And he did an awful lot in these past four years. And I know for a fact, because I'm a vet and mm-hmm. I don't get any benefits. I don't look for benefits because I don't need benefits. I'm fortunate. But, you know, they... They're in a lot better position than they were four years ago. They've been forgotten. And it's so sad. You know, in all the World War II vets now, there there might be a handful left because the war ended in 45. I mean, yeah, you know, there might be a handful left. But unfortunately, you know, they didn't get the things they should have got. My dad was a purple hotbed. Never. He never got any benefits. And I asked him one time when he was in his 80s. I said, Dad, you never got benefits? He goes, Mickey called me Mickey it was <laughs> Mickey um the world heroes are over there he said I never wanted anything just to come home to come home with all my limbs in my mind and I keep yeah. you know and um yeah it was just amazing but um I have a lot of a lot of respect for uh, people that are that are in public service because it's a, it's a very difficult job you know uh, Ed and I always talk about cops and he was you know cops and robbers i was the cop he was the robber whatever <laughs> but ed does an awful lot for, for for people too that I've bets and everybody on on this answer in the call you know and um first net built by at&t is just astronomical um just a great service and and, and it, it it's it's like first of its kind and it's going to be you know so useful and in in, uh, in in the event of anything tragic you know because mm-hmm. uh, it just it, it it offers so much, but um yeah it does an awful lot. And uh, he always asked me to tell stories from the field, you know. And, and on my way here today, I was thinking of a few, you know. So um I'm just going to start with one. But before we start, you've given out the numbers and everything, right? What's that? You gave out the numbers, right? All the numbers. Yes, I did. Yep, the cop number and everything. All right. So I wasn't sure. um My mind's not what it should be sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, years ago I, I drove the police wagon, Skylar, and um. That, that meant that if you got arrested in Lowell, um, and I worked from 4 to 12, 4 at night to 12 in the morning. Um, and I did that for 28 years. Not the wagon, but that shift. But when I was in graduate school, I drove the wagon. And basically, they used to call it the paddy wagon. But mm-hmm. we, now, you know, it's politically correct. We call it the police wagon. And um, i pick up in the 80s, early 90s, I'd pick up an average of 15, 16 people in an eight-hour shift.
1: Oh, wow. And,
0: it was difficult because a lot of these people were, you know, drunk, high, combative. Uh, nobody got in there that was in a good mood. You know, nobody got out and wanted to pat me on the back, you know. Yeah. So, so, you know, you end up rolling around with people and stuff. But there was this girl I used to pick up. She was 19 and um, she was out there for, you know, she, excuse me, she'd be being picked up for prostitution. And she was a young girl, very, very Vibrant, very attractive, very smart too. And I found out years later she was the valedictorian of a graduating class. Mm. Got out of high school, met a kid a little bit older than her, got hooked on heroin. Well, the two of them got hooked on heroin, and she started prostituting for the heroin and to keep him high too. Mm-hmm. And, um, she came from a very good family. Her father owned a construction company a couple towns over. And um, I just remember picking her up, and I had a daughter her similar age. And I remember asking her, you know, I had been in recovery for maybe 10 years, I guess. And I had asked her, you know, are you having fun out there? You're still having fun. What are you ready? You want to get help? You know, and she would just say, what are you talking about? There's there's no help. There's no help. And I said, no, I can help you. And the, the one night I picked her up, she told me that she, um she decided she wanted help. So I went through her file upstairs. I called her parents and I told the mother to meet me at the court the next day. And because she had to be arraigned in court for the charge. And with the help of this judge, wonderful judge, Judge Neil Walker, I'll say his name. I hope someday he can watch this because this people look at judges. I don't think they realize what they have to do. The law is the law, but they also don't realize what they can do. Mm -hmm. So she got she got processed and her arraignment went early before we even got there. And she was being sent to a woman's prison. So by the time her mother and I communicated and I went into probation, I found out she's on her way to a woman's prison. I'm like, Oh my God. So I went, and I waited for the judge. I'd never asked to see him or anything. He knew who I was. And, and I went in and I, I told him about this girl. And I said, I think she wants help. And he could have just said, Hey, too bad. But he, he brought her back the next day. She went into a treatment facility and Tooksbury mass and she stayed there. And I didn't see her for, that was it. And I didn't know whether she'd made it or didn't make it. And about two years later, I was doing a detail directing traffic outside a supermarket. And I see this very attractive girl with sunglasses and a baby seat. And she's waving to me. And I'm like, she must think I'm somebody else. Because (laughs) you have a uniform on and, you know, you might all look alike. Yeah, right. Pulled up, And she said, hey, it's me, Mike. It's it's Marlowe. My heart just flipped, you know, and she pulled over and. Here I am. We're both crying, you know, like we're shedding tears. I I get emotional talking about it. She's like a different person. She has a baby and she's like, my life is so good today. Thank you so much. And, you know, if you ever see the judge, thank him. And, you know, that's a story that I'm sure it happens in many places. And, you know, I've only shared that with a few people now, a lot of people. But (laughs) (laughs) I think it's important because. Cops just aren't out there, you know, beating people up, or, or, or harassing them, you know. There's a lot of police officers that, that go above and beyond, you know. And as somebody who was an addict recovering and stuff, when I drove that wagon, I saw life at a different level, you know. And I, I helped a lot of people that got in that wagon. I took them to detox. I told them about recovery, you know. And, uh, you know, it was kind of a... I was put in that place. I really feel to get my degree, but I was also there for a reason, you know, mm-hmm. and I made the best out of it. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of a good story, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And you know, um, it, it helps break that stigma because a lot of people have an, an issue with, with cops. Right. And right. especially with a lot of things going on right now with different things and, and poli- 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 police brutality, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. and different stuff going on, but there are still people with good hearts out there and well, you know, you break that stigma by telling us that story, you know?
0: Right. Well, I think it's important to know, too, is, um, you know, the, in, in recent, you know, months, they talk about bringing social workers in. And, you know, I am a social worker. I have a degree in social mm-hmm. work, which is very difficult to get. You know, it's a lot of work. But- yes. I I suggested. It didn't really change my life. I was always kind of on that side. I grew up with a brother who had special needs who was born in 1943. And, you know, kids used to throw rocks at him and sticks. And, you know, um, it was very heartbreaking. But we had that empathy in my family, the understanding. My mother was very generous to people that were down and out, especially special needs people and stuff. And my brother ended up in the hospital, and we'd go visit him every Sunday. You know, all of us would pile in a car, and we'd take him out on a picnic lunch. And he eventually got into a school, um, and that's where he lived. And and um, he went to Disney. And, you know, if he had Aww. been... Yeah, it was cool. If he had been born now, if he had been born right now, I mean, he would he would have been fine. They would have been able to do the operation, and he would have been fine. But back then, they, they were limited. But, um, you know, I've met... I've worked with cops that... We'd go to houses around Christmas time. They wouldn't have a Christmas tree, no presents. You know, the mother was a drug addict, the father, whatever, the boyfriend, and the kids had nothing. And, you know, we'd go out to stores like that were open around Christmas Eve and buy gifts and bring them over and, you know, uh, buy meals and give out money. And, you know, I I can honestly tell you, there's a lot of cops that have social work in them. You have to be a social worker. You got to be, sometimes you got to be a medical Mm -hmm. technician. You know? A yeah,
1: human service, like human service field, exactly, right. there's a certain individual, you know, and there's a certain individual for each field, right? right. My stepbrother is a firefighter, and you know, we joke around. We so you know, growing up, we're going, oh, the hose whacker, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but he has a certain love about him, you know, and he's the same brother that came to court with me for my uh, custody stuff and he right. sat with me, you know, and my other brothers really knew how to be there the same way he did. So it's so just, you know, everybody has their part, right. you know what I mean? And at the human service field, we need everybody. We need you. We need my brother. We need people like mm-hmm. that that can, can tap into areas other people can't. Absolutely. You know?
0: Absolutely. So. My, kids, my kids growing up, you know, um, their friends would, you know, get speeding tickets or whatever, you know, and and they'd come to me, but they never they never took it for granted i'd do it they were they had a harder time asking me than strangers yeah you know? especially my son chris he'd be like dad he's like you know i know i asked you once before and i'm like buddy you don't have to you know I, i'll help any way i can you know that but i hate bothering you you know and with total strangers someone i'd meet at a meeting or something would be wanting me to you know change the world for them yeah. you know
1: can you get this ticket removed
0: (laughs) but my kids never complained about me the hours the hours i worked the overtime uh the the stigma of being a cop because i wasn't the type of guy that i didn't make a lot of waves exactly more more or less to help people i'm not saying i didn't have my moments when you know things happen but it's really a difficult job at best and firefighters too um you know they when they have to go into a burning building and i've seen it yes um, Talk about heroes. I mean, you know, we get there as cops. We just stop the traffic and block it. There's been a few times when I had to go into a building because we were the first ones there. And those one or two experiences left me f- fearing for my life.
1: I can't imagine. Exactly. And, and, you know, my niece and nephew I always think, like, what does he think when he's going in there? My niece, you know, like, but it's just, it's what he does. It doesn't, he doesn't think like that. You know, it's just natural and it comes to him.
0: You and know? you know what? When I see, when I see firemen that die, um, you know, there was a couple in Boston that died a few years ago. And it was on Beacon street. My daughter at the time was in college. That was her dorm. Her dorm was like actually three buildings down on the same side of the street. And these two young firemen died in unbelievable uh, turnout for their funerals, you know? And people come from all over the country. When cops die, it's the same thing because- it's, Oh yeah. You know, it, it is, but then the, the media, the media, it's right there they're loving it but as soon as there might be some some newsworthy um you know um events that a cop is involved in it seems like they find him guilty before they even you know before he's even been to court you know and they jump on it and they paint this picture and they stir the public yeah. stir the public and then you got all these riots and stuff and to me that's just really bothersome you know and i'm yeah. There are times when, you know, a cop is dead wrong. He did something. He's going to go to jail the rest of his life. No no cop's going to stick up for him either, you know, but tough job.
1: That's true. That's true. We'll take a, a quick break here now. And then I liked that you were mentioning stuff about the community, the different ways the community got involved and stuff. So maybe we can touch on that a little bit more, the different ways. And then uh, we'll come back. So um, take
0: Super. us out. I certainly will. Answer the call. First responders podcast. Be right back. You're first first to respond, first to put others' lives before your own. And in an emergency, you need a network that puts you first, that connects you to technology, to each other, and to other agencies, built with and for first responders. FirstNet, the only congressionally authorized wireless network for first responders, because putting you first is our job. Since 1992,
1: Genesis House has been helping real people heal from addiction on their private recovery campus in beautiful Palm Beach County, Florida. Their family-owned program is accredited by the Joint Commission and offers detox and dual diagnosis treatment in a comfortable and confidential setting. At Genesis House, they focus on treating the underlying causes of addiction. Their comprehensive approach includes psychiatric care, individual and small group therapy, trauma healing techniques, and holistic care including yoga, massage, and animal-assisted therapy. After treatment, their clients enjoy the lifelong support of a nationwide network of Genesis House alumni. Call Genesis House today at 1-800-737-0933 to speak with someone who understands. Visit them on the web at www.genesishouse.net. It's time to start your journey to a long and successful recovery.
0: Hey everybody, welcome back. Answering the call, the first responders podcast. I am the podfather, Mike Miles, and I am here with the Knowledgeable and lovely,
1: Skyler. And it's noontime.
0: Skyler, and it's noontime. We love this. This is good. This is good. You know, I miss Ed, but uh, you make it a lot easier not missing him.
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad. Oh, I'm you know, sure he's not.
0: No, uh, he needs a little time off. You know, even just one, one or two shows. I mean, he hasn't missed anything over the course of the mm-hmm. two and a half years we've been doing these. You know, and. Uh, yeah it's good it's good it's good good Good. knowing he's relaxing and taking it easy who knows what he's doing though you know
1: right so right before we broke um i just want to uh we were talking about the community different things uh cops cop stories in the community but i real quick want to read um the uh answer in the call uh cop line uh so there is a website it's copline.org or they have a phone number for support it's 800 267-5463, which is eight hundred cop line spelled out, um, and then we also have the uh, different um, Facebook pages, which is Friends and Recovery um, at Community of Support and uh, Answering the Call uh, First Responders Podcast. And what about uh, pod? Have you ever heard of them?
0: So, oh, sober you <laughs> heard of them? I'm having nightmares. That's all I hear. <laughs>
1: and we and- have an awesome sponsor, um, uh, net built by AT and
0: and uh, you can't say enough about um, FirstNet built by AT&T. They are definitely, uh, you know, a, a brand new um, phenomenon. As far as I'm concerned, uh, be, I've been a car for so long that I was and everything. Uh, w- what an opportunity for uh, all departments and first responders to have this um, opportunity to, to, to hook up with um, FirstNet built by AT&T.
1: It brings the resources too for, for vets versus all like, you know, the resources that they need, you know?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just, uh, it's amazing. And and I don't even know how we got involved, but it's so nice to be involved. You know what I mean? Yes. It it really is. It's, it's, uh, it gives me pride. I I gotta say, it really does. You know, um, being a cop for 35 years, um, you know, an old man now, but um, I, I had a lot of experiences when, you know, there was power outages and, and you know, for days, not, not, not hours, days, three days, you know, snow would take down lines and uh, bad storms, floods, um, you know, been through it all. And um, there were times when you, they wouldn't let us go home you know, you're like you have to work 12 hours, you, no one's going home, no vacation, nobody's, you know, it's, it's almost like it's a paramilitary organization. So when they need you, you're, you're going to be there, whether you want to be or not, you know? Yes. So I
1: worked at, um, child services for a short period of time, about a year or so. And, and when they were having a removal of, children, sure. you know, you couldn't leave, it was, and I'm like, mom, can you pick up my son from daycare? <laughs> you know, cause you couldn't leave, you know, you had right. to handle it.
0: Well, I remember years ago, um, uh, Alina and I. We have my son Chris, and um, I have an older daughter, Michelle. I, I was married when I was younger. She's from my first marriage, but Michelle's lived with us, and she's just as much a part of our family as as Chris and my my daughter Cara, who's twenty seven. But we were trying to conceive another child, and uh, you know, we were going to a fertility specialist. We couldn't understand it because you know we had Chris. Mm-hmm. We tried for two years, and it just wasn't working out. And uh, I was at work one night, and um, I was driving the police wagon again i was in mm-hmm. graduate school and i was walking around checking the doors make sure the facility was all safe and um, a woman came in with two little boys they were like five and three and they were you know they they, they were unkept they weren't clean they 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 had dirty clothes on and you know, dirty hands but they were just adorable kids and they were looking at the candy machine the coke machine so i had a bunch of change in my desk out of the garage i ran out and Said, you guys want some crackers? You want some sodas? And they were taking everything. And the woman starts leaving. And I ran out. And she she said, no, I talked to the captain. And then the captain called me back. She was leaving. She was abandoning these two children. Um, mm. yeah. and, and then the, the oldest boy realized what was going on. And, and he ran out after her. And, and she wow. brought her back in. And she she didn't have it. She, her affect was just so flat. You know, and years later, I become a social worker. I know what affect is. I know how it looks. Mm-hmm. And, um, but my heart was broken for these two boys and and they called Child and Family Services. And I had to stay with them till the, the uh, social workers got there. It took about 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. I was just talking to them, trying to break up the the sadness. But I got to be honest, it was so hard fighting back the emotions I had, you yeah. know. And, and, and I ran out in the garage and I called my wife. I said, hey, look, if need be i might have to bring two kids home you know yep of course she's like she's not feeling the same thing i'm feeling she's like what are you talking about i said i i don't know i i don't think i can leave here tonight no to... but um
1: it's so know. hard and you're right because when when people are on uh, when people are dealing with mental illness when people are dealing with substance abuse that effect, it you know and you don't mean it you don't mean it, because i've struggled with with suicidal ideations and different things and it, I become flat. I, it's like I don't feel anything, and it didn't matter. And that's the stuff I had to tap into in therapy and different stuff because that's not really how I felt. In the moment, it's how I felt, but it's not really who I was or how I felt, you know?
0: And just a quick note on suicide or suicide ideation. It's I've said this before because I've been there. It, it's almost like a relief when you think about, whoa, I'll just kill myself. I mean <laughs> – no more problems you know it's wow there's my oasis you know and how crazy is that when you think about it it's like how where is your mind at and i think any person given the right circumstances and whatever's going on in their lives could be there i really do Mm a lot of people might not admit it and that's fine but upset with hundreds of clients and that's one of the questions on my eight page questionnaire so i have it on there twice I have, I have it plain out and then I have it like almost as a disguise, but because mm. it's so important. the last thing you want to do is lose a patient to suicide. You know, I've lost three of them. You and know. you
1: have to directly ask, which is really uncomfortable sometimes. You. Are you currently feeling like you want to hurt yourself or someone else? And then if they say yes, well, which do you have a plan? You know, like that's, that's stuff you got to ask. And it's a very uncomfortable,
0: Certainly. you know? Yeah. And, you know, the uh, God bless the honest people that do tell you, because then you don't have to worry. You, you, you work on it. You know, I had a fireman who came to see me and um, we got to be friends. I mean, you know, uh, not, not so much friends, but we, we knew a lot of the same people. I knew him as a kid before he was a fireman. He hugged me on a Tuesday. He was 30 days sober. Life was getting better. He had a he had a, a restraining order on him, but he was about to have that dropped and he hung himself Saturday. Mm. You know, and and it, it just killed me. I, I I couldn't tell you how sad I was and how how I felt like I had failed to something, you know, going to the yes. stuff, you know. And it's just,
1: not, it's not that at all. If you've ever been there, you know it has nothing to do with anyone else. You actually think like you're a burden to other people and, and they'd be better off without you. It's strange, true. it's the weirdest thing that you know, because I've I've dealt with it in recovery. I mean, I've I've over 12 years clean, but there's been times when I was dealing with that custody court stuff, well, it was like I was either gonna drink and honestly. I always struggled with this worse because I always think if with over 12 years, if I'm going to relapse, I'm just going to go out because I'll be too embarrassed to say I got high, you know? So it's like, and that's why mental health and, and medication going to therapy. That's why it's all like a big piece that we all have to do together, you know?
0: That's right. And you know, people that are just out there sick and suffering, whether they're police, fire, um, um, correctional officers, veterans, nurses, you know, paramedics, it doesn't matter. We are, we have been there. We, we know what it's like. That's why we're here. We're not getting paid to do this. We're doing this because we want to get the message out. We're, we're, you know, we we got out feels right. And and we're grateful not to feel that way now. Exactly. We have this attitude of gratitude where we want to help people. And that's why we do what we do. And that's why this podcast is so good because I'll tell you, um, Sky, you're awesome. You're phenomenal. Uh, Melissa, ed taylor you know um uh, just everybody down there it's just amazing it gives me goosebumps even saying it
1: you Mm -hmm. know
0: i I joke with that all the time all i do is bust his balls and and i do it just for fun and he takes it so well but man i respect that guy so much because yes. i see the work he does him and stacy all the way my
1: boyfriend's obsessed with him every time he shares in the friends and recovery meeting he's always writing him i'm like i think you have a man crush on ed you know you know I might as well just ask him to sponsor you or something like jesus you know because he's don't always right on there. like you know that's a great chair he just can always identify with ed on semi-levels that's you so, know now, speaking that. of like being in the field right when you're in the field and you guys see something What's like the debrief process? Like, you know, do you guys have someone that helps you debrief? Or
0: That's a great question. Years ago, I started in 1980, January mm-hmm. for uh, January 7th, 1980. And, you know, I, I've seen hangings, shootings, yeah. roundings, um, you know, beat, uh, limbs being, I've seen some bad stuff. But yeah. my, we never did have debriefings. Our debriefings were across the street, 1230, two cases of beer, you know, a pint. That was your debrief just getting loaded yeah and then uh, and for me it, like in 86 i started playing with i mean i'm sorry 84 i started playing with cocaine that lasted about two years i mean that brought me to my knees a lot quicker but that was the debriefing nowadays yes debriefing diffusings you know ptsd the jeffrey mitchell model how to how to defuse how to debrief there's teams you can call great teams you know i was on a couple of teams too busy now but used to be um sism teams you know critical incident stress Excuse me. Um management. You can go in there and you know you can have you can have peer helpers, people that work in the corrections. Oh yeah. yeah.
1: They the get department.
0: it. Exactly. And then they they go to the trainings and they're not necessarily up your ass, so to speak, um bothering you. But if, if you found an inmate hanging, you know, whether you knew the person or not, it doesn't matter, you saw death, you might have your own problems. You probably do have your own problems like everybody does. And mm-hmm. then you be suicide. That's why a lot of people that commit suicide have, have been close you to can't you.
1: get that vision out of your head sometimes. I can only yeah. imagine.
0: Right. And so to answer your question, yeah, there, nowadays it's off the wall. There's, there's I think there's plenty of help. And if you're out there listening, and you don't agree with this, we have some numbers at the end of the, at the end of the podcast that you can call on the show notes as well. And you can call us anytime and believe me we're 24 7 365
1: yeah and you guys know places to refer them to for the debriefing you know i worked at a, a rehab up here at seabrook house and you know uh at the time i was doing alumni follow-up calls just like i do now and there was a few times we called and we had heard about like someone that had passed away or there was a crisis call where someone was on the phone um with a plan and afterwards we was debriefed and i always thought like i I didn't know what it was at first, but I was so grateful for it because you don't realize how much, especially an empath, like you take on those emotions and it's it's a lot, it's heavy.
0: And it's really good to be in a group where everybody can speak, you know, and, and, you know, you learn that that some guys are hot asses or women, you know, they don't want to talk about it. They think they're all set. And then once you start going around the room and you touch on everyone, everyone's going to speak whether they want to or not. Mm -hmm. And what I like too is when they're forced to go there, like not forced, but they're ordered. You know, you got to go. If you give people the option, they're just going to go about their merry way, a lot of them, you know. But if they have to go sit in a room for three hours with everybody else that saw this horrific sight, Mm -hmm. and then eventually someone's going to ask them a question, and at least they get to speak about it. And those are the people that usually are holding it in, and they pour out the most, too, you know. Exactly. Exactly. So great question.
1: this was great, though. I mean, I love that all those different stuff you had. Um, and and then there's just awesome, like, the you know, the debriefing thing. I, I think it should definitely be required in some places. But I think they're working on that. And like you said, from where they came with the debriefing. Oh,
0: big time.
1: Exactly. So. Right. But awesome. Well, this has been a great show. Um, I will. Let me read the number out a few more. One more time real quick. Yeah. So we have our sponsor. That's uh, FirstNet built by AT&T. And then um, we have the Copline. So the website is copline.org, and the number is 800-COPLINE, which is 800-267-5463.
0: Super. And let me just give my number out, too, because I've done this in the past. Um, I'm up here in Massachusetts, but 978-746-1717, and that's the uh, Mike Miles of the pod father. And you can call me anytime. And uh, I might not pick up the phone right then, but I guarantee I'll get back to you within an hour and um, we're here to help. Exactly. Right. Great job. I'm, I'm telling you, Sky, this has been a, a real pleasure doing this today.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Friends of Thank Recovery. Uh, first yeah. responders.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. Answering the call, the first responders podcast and uh, stay safe, everybody.
1: Ten four over and out.
0: 10-4. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. <laughs>